Elohe Arete and Tsurei. Now, if you don't know Pig Latin, you probably can't understand what I just said. It's confusing and muddy, and that's exactly what people feel like when they're going through a website with wordy, confusing, and buzzword-filled copy. And the truth is, especially in, in tech and in B2B, what I see more often happening is really good products with messaging that actually makes those good products look bad, undifferentiated, complicated, irrelevant. That's what I see happening with messaging. She really thinks that it's so important that putting your single most important takeaway should be at the very top and right up front for readers, especially for people who are so busy nowadays. In today's Marketing Pops episode, you learn first why muddy and wordy messaging can make good products look bad. Second, how the cement concept can make your messaging crystal clear. Third, an example of the cement concept in action. And finally, fourth, a career power that's helped Emma transition from a freelance writer to a positioning and messaging expert. Now, before we start, I've created a free power-up cheat sheet that you can download, fill in, and apply the Smith concept right away to your website copy and to your business. You can go to marketingpops.com right now to get it or find the link in the description and show notes. Are you ready? Let's go. Marketing power-ups. Ready? Go! Here's your host, Ramley John. Let's talk about marketing power-ups and one of your marketing power-ups is around messaging. Uh, you have this company that you founded, Punchy. Uh, can you share uh, a little bit about messaging and you, you share this this presentation uh, for Winter's uh, Winter Games, this, this online uh, webinar series, and you talked about how you call it muddy messaging can really make good products look absolutely terrible or even bad. Yes, this is something that I preach a lot, right, with clients that work with tech companies primarily. And a lot of people think, oh, messaging, it just is like, you know, putting the cherry on top of a great product. It's like, it's just a nice to have. And the truth is, especially in, in tech and in B2B, what I see more often happening is really good products with messaging that actually makes those good products look bad, undifferentiated, complicated irrelevant to people. Uh, that's what I see happening with messaging. And so this idea of teams accidentally muddying their messaging and giving the wrong impression or the wrong perception of their product is what I see happening pretty much, I don't know, everywhere. I don't have an actual number for you, but it's happening a lot. <laughs> that's absolutely scary because I've shared this, I, I you know, my my wheelhouse is around user onboarding, and if people are confused in the beginning, there's no onboarding tactic that can help users, you know, experience a product's value. Like it's so so important, but it's often uh, missed by a lot of companies, like you mentioned. And and that's I guess one of the things I'm curious about as to why this happens for a lot of marketers. They ended up using you know clever but confusing terms in their in their messaging is. Is it because it's coming from the founders or are we too ingrained in the tech uh, scene so much that we're using lingo that no one else understands, even our customers? The answer is D, all of above. Okay. <laughs> there's lots of reasons why this happens and none of it, there's no bad intentions behind any of it. It's all good intentions behind things that muddy our messaging. So the things that I tend to see, so the first you touched on, which is, we are so ingrained in our technology. We have this thing called the curse of knowledge, which is an actual cognitive bias 
that happens when you're an expert and you know everything about something, you cannot remember what it's like to not know everything about it. So you tend to message at a way advanced, like a to a too advanced level for people. You go, you know, you're just light years ahead. So the curse of knowledge, knowing too much, knowing how it works um, is one. The other is just kind of the challenge of differentiation in these crowded markets. You know, there isn't a software company out there who doesn't have a ton of competitors who do essentially the same thing. And so a lot of teams are really trying to tell people why they're different. And so they're getting technical because a lot of times there's some technical differentiation they're trying to explain around the AI or the ML. And that can get very confusing uh, right away. So trying to explain that technical differentiation. And sometimes it is it can be like a cultural thing. So a lot of times I come across uh, teams where, you know, technical teams that feel like we have to talk about this technical stuff to look like a really robust, innovative solution. And if we don't use those words, people won't take us seriously or enterprises won't want to buy us. Um, so it can be a cultural thing as well. And sometimes all three of these things, you know, can be happening. Um, people not being connected to customers, not actually talking to customers and, and hearing how they talk and feeling that connection to the actual people you're trying to solve for can also just heighten that disconnect. So those are kind of the main reasons I see why people are unintentionally muddying their messaging with complexity and jargon. In terms of that connection to the customers, one big problem I often see is, especially with messaging, it, it becomes too focused on the cool new product versus the cool, and you you have a LinkedIn post here that I'm going to share in the, the notes here, but you, you said that when you focus on the cool new product versus the cool new things that the customer can do, it often makes things confusing. Can you talk a little bit about, about that? Why is that a, a huge problem when we talk about our product, a cool new product more than we talk it, about what the cool new thing the customer can do? Yeah, it's simple. It's because people don't care. Like they just don't care. Um, that is it. People are walking around not thinking about products or technology or AI and things like that. People are walking around thinking about their own stuff. They're thinking about problems they have, things they want to do, things they want to achieve, challenges. I do, right? I'm absorbed in my own thoughts and my own life and things that are going on. And when you talk about how products can help a person actually solve problems, transform, get to another place, you are now connecting the dots between your product and the thoughts and the motivations that are already happening inside your customer's head. And that gives you momentum. It's like, it takes a lot to go up to a stranger and be like, hey, let me explain to you why you should really care about my AI-powered automation. That takes a lot of work. I mean, just imagine that. But if you go up to someone and say, hey, let me tell you how I can take all the those manual tasks that are driving you nuts and making you work late at night, how I could help you with that, thanks to AI-powered automation, then, you know, a customer is going to be interested in that. So it's it's just more effective to talk to things that they care about, that they're already thinking about. And it's a lot more work to try to explain to people right. why they should care about your tech. That's, that's so true. I mean, there's this, uh, this design book that I feel like applies here. It's uh, by Steve Korg, who says, don't make me think. Or it's like, the more you make somebody think, the more likely they are like, I'm confused. And they decide to just walk away. 
and actually like, oh, I don't want to talk to you. You're, you're confusing. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, we, we're getting lazier and lazier, aren't we? You know, it's like, don't make me <laughs> think more than I have to. <laughs> One of the concepts that can help with this, and you shared this in uh, another link to most, you're, you're very pro- prolific on LinkedIn. So <laughs> I'm going to tell people to value LinkedIn if, if they want to learn a little bit more about messaging. And I'll share that in the, the show notes as well. But you share this concept called the Smith, the single most important takeaway concept. Can you, what is this Smith con? And by the way, it's such a great name. Um, and <laughs> how can it help people, uh, specifically marketers, uh, make their messaging clearer? So one of the most common pitfalls I see in messaging, and I'm sure every marketer can relate, is trying to shove too many ideas in one sentence or one paragraph. Um, I see sentences that are like never ending, that are just stringing. It's like, it does this and this and this and this is efficiency and risk and productivity and save money and costs. Oh, right. I, I'm running out of breath. Um, so there is this fear of missing out an important benefit that someone's going to care about. And you can see this fear. And so what that the result of that is, is messaging that has too many ideas in it and it's too long. And when you read a sentence like that, you instantly forget what you've read. You walk away, none the wiser. There's no takeaway. Uh, maybe someone walks away confused, but it is just not clear. There's too many ideas. So someone's like, well, what, what is the idea? Our minds are always kind of seeking that, that nugget. We want to understand the core of an idea. And so SMIT is a really good concept or technique to help you do that. Whether you're working on one slide an entire presentation, a post, you know, an article, anything, it really does apply. And the idea is ask yourself, if my reader or viewer only remembers one thing after consuming this, what would I like to be? Not two things, not three things, one thing. Because honestly, people's minds aren't capable of remembering everything. They're not going to walk away with everything. So ask yourself, what is the single most important takeaway here? And once you decide what that is, and, you know, it, hopefully that's easy, but you may have to sacrifice some other ideas. Once you figure out what that is, then you want to go back to the piece and edit it, rewrite it so that that single most important takeaway shines. And you're only keeping information that further supports that single most important idea. And any other ideas that may be good ideas, but are still kind of tangential to that core idea, just delete them. You know, they can go somewhere else, just pare it back. And it's about simplicity. I think something teams really struggle with, especially in tech, is simplicity, simplicity. How do we make this simple? How do we just bring this to the core? And being relentless with smit and smitting everything that you create is a really good practice to help you kind of get that discipline and, and get more simple about things. You just used it into a verb. I love it. Smitting this. Smitting. <laughs> Let's smit that, smitting. you know? Yeah, I just smit it. Yeah. It should be a button where uh, when you press the button, you just like, smit that. Smit that. Exactly. You got to smit that. Uh, there's, you can keep smitting for, I mean, it's, it's not easy, right? And we, the default is say too much. The first draft is right. say too much. And that's fine. That's, that's thinking on the page. It's, you know, when I write stuff, it's not like that the core of the idea in the first draft, you got to kind of get it out there. Sometimes that first or second draft helps you figure out what the smit is. 
but it's just really important at some point to just, okay, what am I really trying to say here? And what is sort of me rambling up top? <laughs> I feel like this applies really well to what we just uh, talked about previously, where often what the single most important takeaway uh, is about helping the customer do something cool and new, a uh, thing with their, with, with your product versus Oh, the single most important takeaway is that we're AI powered and we use the blockchain yes. or we do this. Yes, I should caveat that. The Smith should never be AI or ML. <laughs> <laughs> or NFT. Yes, exactly. Or the list goes on, right? And it does really tally really well to this, you know, focusing on that success for, for that particular for that particular customer yeah, rather than yeah. you know, with the product itself. Yeah, it's it's and it's hard, right? Because you're you're a marketer and you're marketing a product. And so you think it should all be about the cool new things this product can do. But it's really just reframing that to know it's about something new your customer can either do, be, or feel. The do, be, feel is a kind of neat way to think about it, right? So it's something new they can do, be, or feel. Now, if you just focus on that and kind of answer those questions, what are the new things they can do? New superpowers. What are the new ways they can be? Who can they become? How can they feel with our product? It's like if you focus on those three things, your messaging is going to get better because that's what people want to read about. That doobie, doobie feel sounds like a song, like Dora Me, <laughs> but doobie feel. Oh, man. <laughs> I feel like doobie feel, right? Like it's uh... a right one. Maybe I'll yeah, write one. It sounds like a, a jazz song already. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> but it's so good. You're right. Like it's uh, you know, for people who are familiar with the jobs to be done concept. It's like the do is the functional. Uh, you know, being is around like maybe social or and the feel is around emotional. So it really does tie nicely into helping people succeed. Uh, something they can do, something they can become and something they can feel with that. It's so good. Yeah, and that's a real opportunity in B2B tech is to lean into the be and the feel. I mean, I think a lot of, mm. there are a lot of good product marketing organizations. They've nailed the do, right? They, they are, there's a lot of good, clear, simple messaging around kind of new abilities thanks to a product, but there's still a huge open space to talk more about how you can feel, um, and, you know, how you can become and how you might feel inside, um, you know, when companies do do, and I think they really stand out and people love it. And everyone's like, I want to sound like them, you know? So I think it's a real opportunity for, for anyone to lean into those. It's funny because I believe you talked a little bit about this in another presentation you have with Metadata where it's about the head and the heart, where mm -hmm. often we're, we're pursuing messaging that is more head focused. But I forgot what who said the quote that people remember how you made them feel. Versus yeah. how, you know, how, how anything else. So I think that's a really strong point that uh, often as in B2B, we shy away from the feeling because like, oh, our, our, our audience doesn't feel things. I'm like, they're humans. They obviously feel stuff, right? So that's a good point that you shared there. Yeah, I know. It's like, oh, we're B2B. We have to be serious and like, just keep it down to business all the time. You know, no feelings here. And that's just silly. And I think... That is becoming really well known now. I think people are kind of kind of getting that, but there's still just tons of opportunity to do it. So I, I always recommend that teams kind of go there. 
if they can. Before we continue, I wanna thank those who made this video possible, 42 Agency. Now, when you're in scale-up mode and you have KPIs to hit, the pressure is on to deliver demos and signups. And it's a lot to handle. Demand gen, email sequences, rev ops, and even more. That's where 42 Agency, founded by my good friend, Camille Rexton, can help you. They're a strategic partner that's helped B2B SaaS companies like ProfitWell, Teamworks, Sprout Social, and HubDoc build a predictable revenue engine. If you're looking for performance experts and creatives to solve your marketing problems at a fraction of the cost of in-house, look no further. Go to 42agency.com to talk to a strategist to learn how you can build a high-efficiency revenue engine now. You can find that link in the description below. Let's jump back in. I think I read somewhere that you worked with companies like Loom and Miro and those things are really like, they really leaned on that feeling. Would you say like with this, can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Like how can uh, B2B marketers be more, uh, be and feel focused yeah. and do uh, with their work? One, kind of talking to customers is a great way to get there. I mean, when part of my approach in, in consulting, I talk to customers. And so I always ask them questions like, you know, tell me about how your life was before and after this solution. And that can get emotional. Like, how did you feel before? How did you feel after? And I will ask them, how do you feel? When I talk to them about right. kind of top of mind challenges, I say like, well, how do those challenges feel? And they'll say, I'll tell you how it feels. It sucks, you know? Or how, do, how would you feel if you didn't have this anymore? So I ask those questions. And I'm always amazed by the emotion that comes through, even technical buyers. Right? I talk to a lot of like IT folks, developer folks, um, people who you would just assume were technical and don't feel. And they're some of the most emotional responses because they're under such pressures in their work. And so, um, you know, first talking to your customers, finding out how they actually feel, and then infusing that in the messaging, whether that is one of the best ways, I think, is describing their challenges, like in their exact words, the way they right. see it. And even just reminding people of like, what they're going through and how you understand and how you can help them change that, I think builds an emotional connection between a company. It builds trust with the reader. And it also um, elicits an emotional response in the reader because they're like sort of reminded and, you know, they think back to how it felt. And so it just, it's, it brings emotion. It's not all about just like putting hearts and kisses and everything and like, oh, feel. It really, it's just writing about feelings and then writing in an, in a way that makes people feel or remember and experience. So those are ways that you can kind of bring emotion and, and humanity, just bring humanity and so humanness true. into it. Humanness. That's such a good, uh, if anybody can just take away one, the single most important takeaway, the Smith of <laughs> this is really, it's really that. I think it, just to be a little bit more you, you, human, uh, with their approach, yeah. uh, Oh, I actually want to apply this concept, this Smith concept to uh, an example of how people can apply this. We talked about AI. Let's say somebody sees like, you know, we provide, we use AI to give you real-time data and sexy dashboards. That's such a very product focus. It's talking about dashboards and AI and real-time data. How... how what is the Smith around? Like, how would you apply the Smith concept around like dashboards or data or AI? Like, what would be your approach to think about? Uh, people should think about that when jargony. Dashboards. Yeah, let's think about like dashboards. So, 
is someone who doesn't have the smit. Um, so that's really feature focused. And maybe they would list a couple of things. Like they would just go like, the dashboards, the analytics, da, 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 da. So for that, I would think, okay, if someone walked away, well, out of any of that, what's the single most important takeaway? I don't think there's a great takeaway there, right? Because we're just kind of, yeah, we're just spouting out features. So hopefully someone in the room would be like, that's not a great takeaway or that's not, you know? So I would hope someone would, if someone did the smit and said, okay, look, it really is all about our simple dashboard. Like it, compared to the, the this and then that, what people, you know, it's really about that simple dashboard. So I would find that feature that you feel like is the thing you want to talk about and then translate that into why should someone care about that feature? What does that feature do? Help, help my customer do be, feel different. And so bring it back to that customer. But even just saying like, we're only going to talk about this one thing and then be value focused. That's how I would approach that. But yeah, you'd have to do that extra step of actually making it a value <laughs> message because the features, but it's, 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 it's hard. You know, every time I work with a new client and I work across industries and, and, uh, tech types. So I've, I've kind of done a little bit of it all. And when I get up to speed in a new space and I look at competitors and I look at all the messaging and I always think, God, this is tough. Like, (laughs) I don't understand what these people are saying, but they're all kind of shouting the same thing. And if I were a prospect, this would be hard to be hard. That is so true. Um, And I love how you focus on the dashboard and it could be around, you know, avoiding frustration. If anybody's played around Google Analytics and trying to create a dashboard and like pulling all the data, it's like so frustrating. And no, well, it's funny. It's funny that you say that. So I'm, I'm working with a client right now, and one thing that came out in the customer interviews was now they have bleeding edge crazy technology, but what people really loved was the nice simple dashboard. And one of the customers said, "It's such a relief." Because I'm not having to, every time I log in, being like, how do I get to that page? And like, I have to be a NASA scientist to understand the drop downs and the way they, people describe it, it's hilarious. And that's an opportunity to talk about a simpler dashboard in a very real way. Like no more logging in and trying to remember like how to get to that page. You know, that's a better, more interesting way of saying intuitive dashboard, right? Because people are like, oh, God, I just did that yesterday, right? That was me yesterday. Hmm. They get me. So that's how you build trust and connection. I always say to companies, like, just get real. Like, you know what people are bitching about, your customers and how they say it. Why don't you say something like that? Because that's what they're thinking and saying to their friends and their colleagues. So what if you talked that way, too, and, and helped just, I don't know, let's just get real. Let's stop trying to act like we're perfect you know, robots selling advanced technology and let's just get real. That is another Smith right there. That's an important thing. <laughs> so that's super important. That's such a good like blurb that I just tweet now or like cut up and share to folks. Uh, thank you for, for sharing that. I want to switch gears now and, and talk about careers and particularly career power-ups uh, for marketers. For you, you've been in marketing now for you know, over 13 years, uh, you started off in branding and strategy and moved over to positioning and messaging strategy. Can you share something that's helped Thanks. you advance your, your career, uh, a career power up, so, so to speak, uh, in your own uh, journey? 
something that has been great for me was taking taking big risks and tr- in trying new things and also not settling for anything that I didn't love. So if you looked at my career trajectory before those 13 years, and even the beginning of those 13 years, you'd be like, that's not like a great looking career journey. Um, it was messy. Like I was a travel writer. I did graphic design. Like I was a journalist. Um, every, every job was like, let me get closer to what I love doing. And then I would find things and I would grow and I enjoyed it. But then I'd hit a point where I'm like, yeah, but this isn't, this isn't it. This isn't the thing. This has been a great learning experience, but now I'm going to move on. And I did take big leaps. Like I went from, you know, writing random blogs to like being a travel writer to being the editor of a magazine and being the editor of a magazine to being a brand strategist. Like, and I was not, um, I was not, um, qualified, you know, on paper, but I was like, no, screw it. I'm going to go for it anyway. And I, just bet on myself and just made big leaps, but I hopped around a lot. And it wasn't until I kind of got into B2B that I was like, yes, this is, this is, this is it. This is the perfect, like, this is what I'm sort of meant to do. And I enjoy this and there's a need. And so I didn't settle and I took big risks, even though it didn't, it wasn't like what any book would tell you to do, I don't think. And it didn't always look pretty, but um, it really did serve me well. And I, I would say I kind of piggy, I sort of jumped ahead um, than if I had just done like step by step, like up the ladder. So yeah, follow what you love. Take, don't be afraid to take a big risk, a move, even if people are like, oh, but that's taking a step back or that's a lateral move. It's like, no, there's no such thing, right? Just follow what you love doing and don't settle for anything that isn't lighting you up. That's such a good, that's such a good piece of advice. Take, take some risk. Do you ever deal with uh, the feeling of imposter syndrome? I've been talking to a lot of marketers and they, this comes up quite a bit. And how were you able to face face that or you know, even embrace, maybe embrace it or overcome uh, that feeling as you're taking those big risks, big steps and big leaps? Yeah, I didn't really feel imposter syndrome until I had my own business. Um, so that was when it came in very, very hard. And it was... Very hard to manage in, in the earlier years. Um, I remember I had a absolute fear of posting anything on LinkedIn, which is hilarious now because I never right, shut exactly. up on LinkedIn. <laughs> You're so good at it. You're so good at LinkedIn like, now, right? Yeah, I am now. But randomly, it wasn't that. It was like three years ago that I was terrified of doing it. and and But I pushed through it because I was like, Emma, this is ridiculous. This is this is like your subconscious mind just trying to hold you back. Like, so I, I, I pushed through it. Now, there were other times, this is when I started working with larger companies and leading workshops with leadership teams at big tech companies, lots of men, right? And I'm in there and I would feel imposter syndrome in the beginning. Like, who am I? I don't even come from a tech background. Like, I'm like a creative writer. And like, what am I doing here? I had that really hard in the beginning. And, um, I actually did mindset work to help me because I knew it was holding me back. I had big goals and this imposter thing was kind of, it was an older mindset that I needed to treat. So I did mindset coaching, um, affirmations. I even did uh, NLP, neuro-linguistic programming to help me overcome that. So that got me over that. And since then, I, I know what imposter syndrome is. I don't get it as much. And when it does, I'm like, okay, 
the thing that I always think about is like Maya Angelou had it. Maya Angelou, uh, the poet, amazing. She always felt that way. Always was like, who am I? I forget what her exact quote was. And she's a goddess. So I'm like, okay, she feels it. It's okay that I feel it, you know, be kind to myself and just kind of, you know, move, you know, identify it and just keep moving through it. Right. <laughs> That's so good. That's so good. Uh, um, another person that I, I, that I look up to um, who wrote a book uh, around, around him feeling like imposter a lot is Seth Godin, which I was shocked oh, when he yeah. said that. Uh, and he said his best work comes from his, his uh, feeling, uh, pushing through imposter or feel, feel, he feels imposter, like imposter a lot because of that. And it's interesting. I know of Maya Angelou read some of her work. It's, it's interesting to hear like the people who are at the top of their field um, who are doing their best work uh, feel it. So it's, it's, it probably might be a good indicator no. that you're going the right direction. In your career. No, I think so. I think it's, there's a direct correlation. I think there is actually a name for this principle and I cannot think of what it is. It's this thing where like true kind of experts and press people like, um, they're the ones who doubt their abilities because they know what's possible and they're striving and they're the ones that are just like, Ooh, I don't know if I'm good enough. And then I forget, but like people who just like are ignorant, don't have a clue. They're like, I'm amazing. You know? <laughs> I got this. I'm awesome. You know, right. and it's like, okay, you don't quite have that depth of, of understanding of, of what this is all about. So I think it, it is, I think it's a good thing, right? To, it, there's a humbleness there, um, acknowledging that like you don't know everything and that, you know, when you're pushing into those new territories, it's like, is this, should I be here? Right. <laughs> that's so, that's so good. Yeah. Uh, I really do appreciate you sharing, sharing that. Uh, second to the last question is around uh, uh, what piece of advice or uh, and two two or three pieces of advice you can give your younger self. So if you can travel back in time, send a message thirteen years ago to that younger Emma. What would be your piece of advice to that person? I think. Well, I wish I'd started my business sooner, um, but you know, I, I do believe everything happens at the right time. But you know, in the early years, and I was trying to find my way. I just didn't feel like I fit. And I remember thinking, there's not a job title that makes sense for me. And I let that kind of make me think that, I don't know, I wasn't going to have a good career because I didn't really see how I fit in, in many ways. Um, it took me a long time to start my business. So I wish I had done that earlier because um, I, I didn't know. And the other thing, hmm, I think, yeah, I think maybe I would have... Um, probably been on social media more like so when I started my business like I had I didn't use social media I had zero network I just I didn't really do any of that and I've started doing that you know when I started my business and and I love it it's so fun it's so great to, there's so many amazing people to me through this and I, I just I never did that and you know how might things have been different if I had been more open to connecting and meeting new people and, and collaborating. I don't know. I was like a hermit or something. So that's probably the other thing I would have done is just kind of connect and network, um, meet more people, you know, doing what I was doing like I am now with you. I love this chat with Emma. I hope you learned as much as I did from this conversation about messaging and copy and the Smith concept. 
Now you can find out more about Emma's work by going to punchy.co or finding her on LinkedIn and Twitter. Those links are in the description and show notes. Thanks to Emma for being on the show. If you enjoyed this episode, you'd love the Marketing Power-Ups newsletter. I share the actionable takeaways and break down the frameworks of world-class marketers. You can go to marketingpowerups.com to subscribe and you'll instantly unlock the three best frameworks that top marketers use hit their KPIs consistently and wow their colleagues. I want to say thank you to you for listening and please like and follow Marketing Power Ups on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. If you feel like extra generous, kind of leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and leave a comment on YouTube. Goes a long way in others finding out about Marketing Power Ups. Thanks to Mary Sullivan for creating the artwork and design and thank you to Faisal Kaigo for editing the intro video. And of course, thank you for listening. That's all for now. Have a powered update. Marketing power ups. Until the next episode.